marriage. Can I hear from a few people? How, how, how many of you are married? Can I hear you? Woo! How many of you are happily married? Woo! How many of you wish you were married? Any of you who are married wish you were single? What about that? Huh? You know, I'm always mindful that whenever we step into a Sunday to speak about marriage, that uh, there's a, a large group of people that just may tune it off because you're like, well, I'm not married, I'm single again, or you're a young person, that kind of thing. This has to do for my parents. Hey, hold up right there. This day is for all of us. Because in the heart of marriage is the heart of relationship, but... There is not a single individual in here who is not impacted by good or bad marriages or longs for a good marriage. And so dial in on this with simply titled, From This Day Forward. We started this uh, relationship series a few weeks ago, actually on the heels of Valentine's Day. And uh, we encourage one another to dial in to the priority relationships of your relationship with God first, your relationship with yourself that flows from a relationship with God, and then your relationship with others. On this earth, there's no more important relationship with others than the relationship you have or will have with your spouse, front and center. From this day forward, that divine magical moment at a wedding ceremony, when you stand before your friends and family, before God, but you speak into each other's life, your wedding vows, your covenant vow to be able to be devoted to one another for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. From this day forward. Doesn't that sound like something really heavy? It is really heavy. So how well are you doing at it? Since you made a commitment and a vow to your spouse, or how well are you doing about it in planning and preparing for that day when you will take the initiative, feeling led before God to speak that into someone else's life? Well, what I'd like to do today is try to keep things fairly simple, but also um, practical. There's a lot of different passages we can go to, but there's one passage in particular that I, um, I don't know, maybe that I've had a couple weddings that I've officiated at over the years, my many years of ministry, uh, where I've not used this text. But this text is always front and center because I believe it contains uh, one of the most important things that we need to have in our marriage, and that is a picture. Because marriage really is a picture. It's not just the aspect of showing up to be able to give um, your, uh, your vows to one another. It's not about the wedding ceremony. It's, it's not about all the other things that are surrounding, which is great. Marriage is foremostly a picture from Scripture about what God intends for us to have. And so Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Put on back your program today if you want to follow along. But we're going to just walk through this and then we're going to look at some practical aspects from this picture that's given of marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 starts out and it says this. If I can get it to go. Every week. Yep, there we go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Now, as we wade into this passage, there's other things that are going to start flying around. But you need to understand that this section of Scripture, as it deals with other relationships, foremostly the relationship with our spouse, states at the beginning that we are to submit to one another and a reverence for Christ. It's not submit to one another because they meet your needs or submit to one another because you like them or submit to one another because of you know, other dimensions of that relationship that may look good to other people. Whatever. The, the reason you and I submit to one another in relationships and foremostly in our marriage relationship is out of reverence for who? Christ. You see, this picture of marriage, it's not foremostly about you and your spouse. It's really about God and the world. So the picture that you have of how you and your spouse relate together is a picture that's also demonstrating how God relates to his world when he chose to be able to be a giving God. And so we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what's reverence? You can probably come up with all big kinds of fancy terms. But to me, it's like, wow, whoa, because of who Christ is and all that he's done for me. Because he has loved me, he has chosen me, he has forgiven me, he went to die on a cross for me. He was raised from the grave so I can have the forgiveness of my sins as I place my faith in him. And then he's, he's turning and changing my life around. And yeah, I used to sort of be a jerk, still am a little bit, but he's changing me and, and transforming me into something new and incredible. And all that's, that's going on in my life, wow, God, Christ, you, because of this, out of my reverence for what you're doing in my life, I would choose then to submit one to another. Now, on the heels of this particular verse is a startling verse. And the startling verse is this. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. That's sort of pretty simple and clear there, which is pray and go home. No. This passage bothers a lot of people, and it may bother you. And if it bothers you, that's good. It should bother you because you're like, well, what's this really saying? I mean, we live in this modern culture. I don't know what that Bible was back then and the people back then, but this whole thing of submission, this thing of headship, you know, what, what, is this demeaning to women? Well, let me unpack a few things here. First of all, it's not what it first appears. If you were to look at the Greek in this, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you would to the Lord. The verb submit is actually not there in the most original Greek manuscripts from which our Bible is translated. I'm going to explain that in a second. But the second thing is that in the culture of that day, it would not have been huh? It would have been a duh. Because the culture of that day, women were seen as the possessions of the man. 
yay, nay, and how you think about that culture, it's how things were aligned, those kinds of things. Christianity actually liberated women more than anything has ever done in the history of the world. And it comes through the teachings of Jesus Christ. So why would these teachings appear through the Apostle Paul that seemed to be um, sort of putting this two-tier kind of deal in a marriage? Well, let's go back to the original statement. It's not there in the original Greek, submit yourselves. It would be like reading wives to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. You're just, the verb's not there. But what happens in the way that it plays its way out in the Greek, it's actually pulling the verb from the prior statement. It's assumed. So in assuming, you go back, and you go back to the first verse, and it's what? Submit yourselves to one another as to the Lord. So it's a mutual kind of submission that's going on. So as it's carrying itself through into this passage, it's not like, okay, men are here, women are here, and you got to submit. No, it's reflecting back on the mutual submission one to another. And then it's carrying it forward. Now, part of my problem with why people have a problem with this is because, well, what are you really saying? That you need to take submission out of a marriage or submission away from a wife to her husband? No. The idea is that we have mutual submission one to another out of reverence for the Lord. But in the passage, in this picture that we're looking at, the highway leads to something far more (laughs) impacting for the man, the husband, than it ever does the wife. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now just as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. In God's economy, there are certain ways that things do work. And though it's a mutual submission, I will never hold back from preaching hard on the headship of the husband to lead the home. In fact, in all my years that I've interacted with people, I don't know, maybe I have, I've yet to find a woman who does not want her husband to lead. Some of you in here right now, you're longing for a husband, or if you're not married, you're longing for a man who will lead. Not in an authoritarian, dictatorship kind of way, but lead out spiritually. And to lead out with strength. Not to lead out with arrogance and self-centeredness, but to lead. In God's way that he's put things together, there's headship and there's some leadership that needs to happen. And so this picture of marriage is like the picture of Christ and his church. And so here's just as Christ loved the church... So husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ died for the church, husbands, be willing to lay down your lives for your wife. So the instruction as it moves forward in this passage, and it's all sort of integrated together, is really powerful and impactful. So if you have an offense, especially as a woman today, don't be offended by this passage. Man, the men have it in a way that they need to wake up and take attention. Real relationships. Your love awakens me. That's how we sort of titled this journey we're on. And my prayer is that the love of Christ would awaken marriages and awaken husbands in particular to be spiritual leaders to take headship in their home. Now that's not always the case, and I understand that. And it doesn't give any excuses in any dimensions of that nuclear family. 
But we work towards that dimension. And if you're a man here this morning, especially if you're a man who's not married, I want to encourage you, like we've talked about, work on the relationship you have with Christ first and the relationship you have with yourself and who Christ loves you to be because you need to be somebody stronger than you probably are now to step into the marriage of your future. All of us make mistakes. All of us fall short. So there's not the beating of the drum or the whacking with the stick on somebody's head or on the wrist. But we need to soberly recognize that from Scripture, marriage is sacred. And it's a sacred picture that reflects how God loves his people. That's why when marriages break apart, it's grievous. It's grievous to our own spirit. It's grievous to the Father. Because he wants that picture shown well in our world of loving one another. Mutual submission, headship, men, I won't park here any longer, but there are many women who are longing for a man who will take the spiritual lead in their home. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? I used to be college and career pastor, which means I, I, I worked with people out of high school, college age, career age, up through, through. And I can't tell you how many times during that season I would have you know, some sidebar counseling encouragement of some of the women who would go, where are the godly men at? Now, I'll leave it there. But I come back to this passage and I say, it's right. The woman desires for a man to take leadership. And it's not a democracy vote. You know, your kids vote, everybody vote. Take the initiative. And men, I would not take an initiative and lead out unless there is some type of spirit of consensus with your spouse on decision making. Now, sometimes it's like, hey, which way is this going to go? And you need to take a lead on it. Take the spiritual headship, but you're praying before Christ. You're leading well spiritually. The interior part of your life is not out to lunch or, or off on some back road. You're seeking the Lord. And women sometimes, and I've encouraged this, maybe you don't feel comfortable with it. Maybe there's a big decision coming up in your family. If you sat down with your husband and said, you know, this is a hard decision for us to make. But because scripturally, the man is to be the head of the home, spiritual head of the home and lead, I am trusting God to speak into your life to make this decision. What's that going to do the man? Uh, uh, you are? Yeah. I believe God's going to speak into your life to help us take this next step. Wow, the responsibility that comes from that. Next slide, next verse. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I'll say this in weddings from this day forward. Men, be willing to lay your life down for your wife because you are called to love her as Christ loved the church. Next verse. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, what's going on here? It's this picture concept still holding in there. God loved us, he sent his son. God loved us. His son died on the cross, laid us down. He washed us through the word. So also we are to lay our lives down for our wives. We are to wash and cleanse her through the washing and the teaching of the word and understanding all that's a part of that. To be able to present her blameless, without spot or wrinkle. Next verse. 
In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for it, just as Christ does the church. And next. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus Christ left his relationship at the right hand of the Father in heaven to come and be united to a people of his very own, eager to do what is good, the people called the church, the assembly, the called out ones who are followers of him. Scripture references Christ as the bride and we are the bridegroom. What a beautiful picture. And so what Ephesians is doing here, the Apostle Paul, he's painting the marriage picture. May your marriage exemplify the reality of what God's doing in all the world through Christ. And then verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. It is a profound mystery. And it's hard to articulate all that God's doing in the grand picture of the universe. One of these days we'll fully know. But right now, we have the opportunity to mirror it and exemplify it through our marriage relationship one with another. Mutual reverence and submission to one another and leading and being able to love, being able to lay down our lives for one another, in particular for men. And then he comes back, verse 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So that's the picture. The picture of marriage is the picture of Christ in the church. Never stray far from it. In the good times and in the bad. Does your marriage question here today, this morning, to you, maybe discuss with your spouse later this week, does your marriage reflect the picture of Christ's marriage to his church? And in what way can it improve or can it change? So marriage is a picture. Secondly, I would like to just simply say that marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant in the Hebrew scriptures uh, was basically referring to the word bind, to bind together, like you'd wrap something tightly together. In the New Testament, it's taken a transition more into an understanding of, of an agreement. And so we have this for marriage is a covenant, a formal or legal binding of declaration of benefits given by one party to another with or without conditions. So in the New Testament, the covenant idea is something more. It's broader. It's more significant. A covenant, simply put, a covenant is a binding agreement that's sacred and holy ground. So revere it. And a covenant is something that's, that's not like a contract. I like to put it this way. We always think in terms of contracts. Hey, I'm in this marriage thing, 50-50 kind of deal till it works out for better, for worse, or for better until things get worse. I don't know. To love and to cherish from this day forward, uh, as long as I'm still in love, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there, there's this concept that marriage is sort of this 50-50 contract. Usually when you have a contract, what are you looking for? A loophole that says I can get out of it. Rather than a covenant is a binding agreement that don't get out of it. It's not. It's sacred and it's holy. A contract says, I take thee for myself. 
A covenant says, I give myself to thee. A contract says, you had better do it. A covenant says, how may I serve you? A contract says, what do I get? A covenant says, what can I give? A contract says, I'll meet you halfway. A covenant says, I'll give you 100% plus. A contract says, I have to. A covenant says, I want to. Or I get the privilege to. Go back to your marriage day. Maybe it's many, many years ago. 70 years from the video from that one couple. That's a long time ago. Maybe it's just a few weeks or months ago. If you're not married, think in terms of that day when you will be. In that sacred moment, it's a covenant vow that you're making before God concerning the two of you. It's not a mutual contract. Some of you have been through brokenness of marriage, and you know. Maybe you're here this morning and you go, I don't like marriage talks because it reminds me of, of ways that things just didn't work out for me and my ex. Let God's grace continue to heal because he does. But from this day forward, let's look at the relationships, even your courting of other people, how you end up um, defining your longings of your heart for what a future marriage might be. Is it based upon the sacred and holy ground of a biblical covenant before God to love and to cherish from this day forward for all the things that are embedded? Is it a contract you're thinking about? Oh, I hope. I remember one time I was, I was traveling in a plane and there was a couple in front of me or a guy maybe talking to another guy. I can't fully remember. And he was giving reference to his many marriages. But he didn't seem to have any remorse about it. The starter marriage was good, and then it fell apart. And then now I'm looking for someone here after this. Uh, it was like, what is this? It's, it, it's just a self-centered, let's roll from one to another, some serial relationships, serial marriages. Keep the sacredness of the marriage covenant in view in all that you do. So I'd like to just make some practic- very practical statements. These are actually very simple statements. You will probably say, really, is that it? Yep, because it just needs to have rubber hit the road. So here we go. Statement number one about what we need to do in our marriages is we need to prioritize your marriage. Duh. Okay. No, I'm serious. Prioritize it. What else is going on in your life that is of utmost importance? A lot of things. I understand that. But is your marriage still the priority that it was when you were seeking out the courtship? Remember when you were courting a lot of times, everything else was going on around you. Man, you were in love and you were pursuing this relationship. And, you know, you could have bombed on a test and other kinds of things. But if she loved you, if he liked you, if you were walking together, you were good. Where is that same type of prioritization and longing the heart to keep that front and center? Prioritize your relationships. Secondly is this. Align your orbits. You know what I mean by that? We all have different worlds that we're spinning in. 
And what happens, especially as marriage gets down the road, is our orbits start to get spaced out. And some are out in intergalactic kind of areas. And so our paths never cross. You know, you got, uh, you got some work project that's taking you off the beaten path and it's consuming your life. And, and then your kids signed up for, for gymnastics or something. And whoa, that really takes you into a different kind of orbit. And you got another kid that's still in soccer season. And you're all going different directions. You're not orbiting together. And one of the beauties and opportunities I have in my life is my wife and I do do ministry together, which is nice to have the same orbit, uh, her doing whether it's children's ministry or disability ministry, that kind of thing. I know that she's sort of circling in my general world when I'm doing ministry, so that's nice. But even then, right, hon, we have to align our orbits because sometimes we'll wake up and go, oh, my goodness, we really haven't been connecting and, I mean, you're talking a little bit about your own little orbits and what you're doing, but you're not trying to get them to align. And there's going to have to be some strategic yeses and nos to be able to align your orbits one with another. Number three is this. Talk to your spouse. Duh. Yeah. Talk to your spouse. I'm not talking about um, schedule uh, communication. Well, where are you going today? I'm doing this. I'm going to, oh, yeah. And then uh, I, I just talked to my dad about another situation. I'll update you on that. You got, you, you taking care of the dog today? All that, you know, like, no. We're saying talk to your wife. Talk to your husband. And don't let a lot of days go by without having good talks. Questions you can ask. How are you? I'm good. No, you're not. I'm good. Sorry to tell you this, but you're never good. All right? There's always something going on. Well, I don't have time. I just, how do you know I'm good? You might think, wow, that was as hard as I thought. I'm going on the rest of my day. She's good. I'm, we're sailing to the future. See, I asked her. She said she's good. Right? No, no, no. You've got you've to ask it probably a couple, three times. How are you doing? How are you? Right? So let's add another question in there. Then is this, so how are you really doing? Okay? Now, one of the reasons we hesitate to ask the really doing, do you know why? I'm this way. I'll be a minute. Because... I don't really want to park and spend a lot of time talking about how you're really doing or how I'm really doing. We got schedules to meet. We're, we're, we're buzzing. I, I, need to just, I just need a little veg time right now, right? How are you really doing? And that's going to involve things like how, what are you thinking about these days? My wife will catch me sometimes like this. She'll go, what are you thinking about? I'm like, uh, oh, you really want to know? Maybe some logistics, some other kind of worry or concern, right? Well, unpack it. This is what I'm thinking about. Why is that always on your mind? Oh, because this is that. Or how are you feeling? All right? You're asking questions to get underneath the service. Why? Because you are serving, you're submitting yourself, you're subjecting yourself one to another out of reverence for Christ. This is not about who gets all the attention? You are in a competition to serve one another. 
see your relationship that way. How can I serve you? How can I climb into your world? How can I talk to you and get to know what's happening more? Well, well I don't want to do that. I mean, she never talks. Now I got a bunch of stuff going on in my own life. Time out. Where's your head at? What kind of relationship do you want? Do you want it to mirror what God's relationship was with you? Are you okay? Are you okay? Now, I'm not saying you have to do this at every turn and every night. But just talk to one another. Prioritize your marriage. Align your orbits. And then speak to one another in healthy communication and dialogue. There's many reasons marriages break down or courtships break down. Foremost is communication. Work with it. Number four really falls on the heels of this, and it's very simple. Number four is to contend for your marriage. Contend for your marriage. Think about all the things you contend for. You contended to be able to get that degree. You pressed forward with it. You built that company. You were out there trying to uh, you know, secure this kind of uh, reality in your life. You contended really hard for it, but do you contend for your marriage? This world presses against marriages to blow up all over the place. And so you have to work hard to contend for your marriage. So take that initiative. Own that, especially the spiritual head of your home, guys. Contend for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Seek to have what God would make out of it. And number five is this. Champion your spouse. Champion your spouse. Now, I want to just do a little sidebar here on something and read something. I, I actually came across this a few weeks ago and gave reference to it, I think, a couple weeks ago. It comes out of a uh, book um, that I think just recently came out called Vertical Marriage. And in Vertical Marriage, um, there's this couple, uh, Ann Wilson and her husband, uh, Dave. And she says this uh, in an interview talking about this book that she wrote. Hang with me. If someone would ask me on my wedding day what I loved about my husband, Dave, I would have enthusiastically responded with, are you kidding me? Everything. In fact, there isn't one thing about him that I don't love. Fast forward to the same question six months later. And I would have quickly responded, there isn't one single thing I like about him. <laughs> that is when I began to, my quest to change my husband into the man I thought he should be. The man who would bring me happiness I longed for. Fifteen years later, and not much progress had been made. I had no idea why my efforts were not making headway. One morning, Dave and I were speaking to a group of young moms at our church. Dave began to enthusiastically tell the women what almost every one of their husbands probably experienced growing up. Outside of our homes, our husbands, friends, and children are being bombarded with negativity. We can be the ones to bolster their sails and bring them joy. You see, when your husband was a boy, he most likely had a mom or a dad or a relative cheering for him, telling him, good job. As your husband got older, he might have had a coach or a teacher or some mentor telling him he was good at something, and that coach or teacher cheered him on and encouraged him to work harder. Dave was totally into his talk now. He told them that as a college quarterback, he had coaches and fans cheering him on and shouting him, Dave Wilson, you're the man. As he said those words, he started clapping his hands energetically. His passion was filling the room as he had completely captured the woman's, women's attention. He then continued his story by saying that when I said yes to his marriage proposal, I was shouting, of course, of all the men in the world, I choose you. 
As he yelled those words, he looked straight at me with a look that said I was his biggest cheerleader. Ann and her husband, Dave. I was thinking, man, this is good. And then he lowered the boom. But ladies, after we've been married a while, he sadly said, we men walk in the door and all we hear is boo. My heart dropped. Was he saying that I boo him all the time? My face turned red as I picked my heart up off the floor. On the ride home, I defensively asked, you think I boo you all the time? Well, I then said, I, I, I'm not booing you. I'm, I'm trying to help you. It doesn't feel like help, Dave quietly said. He wasn't angry or defensive, and that bothered me because he seemed to be broken. His battered soul worried me. It made me wonder if I was the cause of the wind going out of his cells. Dave then added, you don't literally boo me, but you are constantly critiquing the things I do or say. I feel like I can't do anything right. You constantly remind me of all the things that I'm not doing and all the things I should be doing and what other husbands are doing. Really, who wants to come home to that? Silence engulfed the car. I was shocked. I had no idea that he was feeling any of this. When we got home, I went upstairs and began to ponder what things would be like if I were to constantly cheer for him. You know, tell him he was awesome all the time and such. The answer was swift and clear. It wouldn't work. Just think about it. If I did that, then Dave would think I was happy with the way he was treating me. I rationalized that if I didn't critique Dave's performance, he would think I was satisfied, and thus I would be enabling him to remain where he was instead of growing into the husband and father he needed to be. And that wouldn't be good, right? I went on like this for several days until I felt God tugging at my heart. As much as I didn't want to admit it, I knew he was calling me to surrender this situation, to give him my worries, fears, and disappointments. I could tell that God wanted me to ask him what he wanted me to do. I was afraid of what he might ask of me. The truth was I didn't want to become a doormat or lose my voice or feel like I was just passive and a weak-willed woman. But finally, I took the dive and I let God win. I told him everything I was feeling. I shared all my fears and asked him what he wanted me to do. I did not, it did not take very long to sense a still small voice deep in my soul. Cheer for him. It was time to change, so I prayed, Father God, forgive me. I have not been respecting Dave. In, my fa in fact, I have been nagging him, criticizing him. I haven't been cheering for him. I give you my marriage and I give you my life. I ask that you help me see Dave the way you see him. I give up my control of trying to change him. And I ask that you would give me your power to cheer and appreciate Dave, even when I don't want to, even when I feel like he doesn't deserve it. I'm asking that Dave would know how much you love him by the way I treat him. I can only do this with your help, Father. It started with that simple prayer, but it didn't end there. One evening, a few months later, as our family of five sat down for dinner, I said, hey, before we pray and eat... I want to stop for a minute and say thanks to Dad for working so hard every single day to provide this meal and every meal for our home. Then I turned to Dave and continued, It's easy to take your work for granted. You are a really good man. Thanks for all you do for us. Dave's face was beaming as we shared the moment. Later that night, Dave told me my words were the best thing that, he, that had happened to him all week. What? A few measly words that took less than a minute to convey? Seriously? Yep. All he heard in that moment was applause. 
As I began looking for the positive things that Dave was doing, things in which I would genuinely encourage him, I began to see God actually change me inwardly. My crusty, dissatisfied heart was starting to soften. Joy began to displace my discontentment. Peace began to weave its way in and throughout me as my anger and bitterness began to ebb. And no, I did not lose my voice. Rather, I took my complaints to God first and asked Him to help me speak my heart and mind in a way that Dave could really hear it, in a way that didn't overwhelm him with constant booing. The change was simple. Positive words of affirmation flowed in abundance so that when negative words needed to be shared, they could actually be heard and swallowed a little easier. Our words have the power to bring life and death. I want to be a woman that my family can't wait to come home to. Outside our homes, our husbands, friends, and children are being bombarded with negativity. We can be the ones to bolster their cells and bring them joy. As Dave often says, a man will always go where he's cheered. I want my man to come home. I take the time to read that for both men and women. We need to cheer our spouses on. You see, you have fears and anxieties. They're not going to make some turns and changes that you really need to see them change because you have these desires that have become expectations and you feel entitled that you need this in the relationship. And those expectations have driven you to a point of booing and you don't even remember, recall it. Just stay on the side of cheering them on. Early on in my marriage and continually again and again, God has to remind me of this. I am not out to change my spouse. I am out to champion my spouse. And I will cheer her on in private and in public in appropriate manners to bring encouragement to them. May we be there for one another. There is a lot of negativity going on in your workplace, in the world, wherever it may be. We need to be there one for another. Champion your spouse. I wanted to park there. And the last two, I'll just say quickly. Number six is this. Resign from the mission of changing your spouse. It's exactly what I just said. Do not make it your goal to change them. You love them from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do you part. And allow that covenant marriage to reflect the marriage picture of God. You will find contentment. Maybe things won't change radically. But you will be able to have an interior life that lives at peace. And you will be on a journey from one season of life to the next. Building and cultivating a marriage that is not only blessed by God. But is honoring to Him. And depicting to the world of a grace-giving God. And so the final thing, just coming back to that picture frame, is make Jesus the frame of your family photo. Your mission is not to change your wife, to change your husband. Your mission is to honor and glorify God and serve His mission in your marriage together, however that may interplay. I was sitting up early this morning. I always get up early on Sunday, and I was looking around our house just briefly thinking about this whole idea of, of making Jesus the picture frame of our marriage. And I saw two different photos just sitting in our house. Some earlier years, yeah, when I didn't have the gray kind of deal, right? My wife, she always looks lovely from one year to the next. I don't know what happens to me. 
But you see that picture frame? That picture was frame was chosen by my wife or someone, I don't know, to put the couple picture in. What about you? What, what is the frame around your marriage? Is the frame the glory of Jesus Christ and what he's doing? Or is the frame something else? Make sure that your marriage is biblically aligned with mirroring the picture of God's relationship with his people. And make sure that marriage is based on a covenant, not a contract. Prioritizing it. Not, oh, here it's number two or three. I understand God's, God's like here. And you got all these other things here, but in the midst of all these other things that are underneath God, because God's sort of, you know, it's totally separate. Make sure that foremostly you're prioritizing, prioritizing your marriage. Spend time articulating how your orbits can come together more, how you can end up communicating and talking at a level of depth, and how you can in those moments and maybe others cheer them on in appropriate measures and just let God change their heart. Let God blossom them into everything they need to be. You love them as Christ loved the church, and he laid down his life for the church. Love and respect. I think that's why he comes back and he ends the whole passage with that verse. Women, love your wives. I mean, men, love your wives, and women, respect your husbands. We're going to close with a song we led off with. There's this song of tenderness. And I'm going to ask the ushers to come and take their place, receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, as well as your connect cards and uh, your serve cards. But uh, as we close with this song, may you be able to just lift up your marriage or your hope for a future marriage to the Lord. Maybe if you're in a place of brokenness today, it's just lifting up that brokenness to the Lord concerning broken relationships. May you find his tenderness weaving his mercy and grace in and through your lives together. Let's sing. Ushers, please come. In tenderness He saw